are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, it's a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. Thanks for listening and for subscribing. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'll be joined here in a bit by Ben Golliver of the Washington Post to talk about what Eric Bledsoe's extension means for Giannis and the Bucks going forward, the dysfunction in Phoenix, and how Andrew Bogut can help the Warriors. But first, let's run through some of the scores from Monday night. The Brooklyn Nets blew out the Dallas Mavericks 127-88, to their biggest margin of victory since moving from New Jersey in 2012. Thanks to 19 points from Rodion's Kuruks and 22 points from Damari Carroll, who could be making himself some money this summer, Luka Doncic struggled scoring just 16 points on 16 shots. Dwayne Wade comes up big again for the Heat, scoring 14 of his 23 points in the fourth quarter to beat the Hawks 114-113, to keeping the Heat alive in their playoff chase. In another close game, the Spurs beat the Nuggets 104-103. Denver rallied from 20 points down and held San Antonio scoreless over the final two and a half minutes and pulled within one, but missed three shots in the last 16 seconds that could have won it. DeMar DeRozan finished with 24 points. LaMarcus Aldridge put up 22. Kelly Oubre Jr. had 22 points and 13 rebounds, and the Phoenix Suns rallied from a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit to beat the team with the NBA's best record, the Milwaukee Bucks, 114-105. to It was Pau Gasol's first minutes as a buck tonight. He had two rebounds, an assist, and missed both of his shots in five minutes. And look at the Suns beating teams. Drew Holiday and Julius Randle each scored 30 points as the Pelicans beat the Jazz 115-112. to Anthony Davis had 15 and 11 in his allotted three quarters of playing time. New Orleans has now won three straight games. The Kings got 28 points and seven assists from Buddy Heald and 22 points and 10 rebounds from Harrison Barnes to get off the schneid, beating the Knicks in Sacramento 115-108. to the Kings snap a three-game skid. And finally, the Lakers drop a game at Staples to the Clippers, 113-105. to The Lakers missed 28 of their 38 three-pointers. Rajon Rondo took 10 three-pointers in the game. Even if he makes four like he did tonight, those are still looks opponents have been willing to live with. It's sort of like 10 wasted possessions. I don't know how much longer Luke Walton can continue to play Rondo in these big spots. I know... That Lonzo Ball is out, but just make LeBron the point guard. Surround him with shooters, especially at the end of games when LeBron is most dangerous. The Lakers are now five and a half games back of the playoffs, and there's not much time left. All right, that'll do it for the scores. Ben Golliver joins me next. We're here now with Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. Let's get to our first headline. The Milwaukee Bucks signed Eric Bledsoe to an extension. Bledsoe is having a really strong year for the East's best team, averaging nearly 16 points, 5.5 assists, and 4.7 rebounds. And at 29, we'll sign for another four years, $70 million. Ben, you recently wrote about this for the Washington Post. Uh, What does this say about how the Bucks are approaching building around Giannis during this window? Well, this is such an interesting... uh contract extension for multiple reasons. So first of all, from the Bucks standpoint, it's a real sign of faith and forgiveness in Eric Bledsoe. So everybody will remember, you know, his terrible postseason performance last year against the Celtics. I mean, he really cost them the series. He's even said as much. And for the Milwaukee Bucks to say, hey, look, you bounce back from that well enough. You've been the most important, uh, I guess, you know, frontline guy uh, in terms of their number one ranked defense 
uh, this season. You're doing enough as a complimentary piece alongside Giannis on offense that we're ready to lock you up for four years and $70 million. I mean, that is no small uh, you know, symbol uh, on their end. And I think uh, from Eric Bledsoe's side and from his agent side, Rich Paul, it's so interesting because I think Rich Paul has this reputation as kind of like a bare knuckles brawl, brawler. You know, he's always tried to like, you know, even held uh, Bledsoe out in Phoenix, the Anthony Davis situations going on he, in Cleveland with LeBron. I mean, those guys were kind of notorious for, you know, putting the screws uh, to the Cavaliers front office and ownership group. And here he's showing just a, a total different side of the negotiation style it's saying look we're not going to see if Eric has a great performance and he really blows up in the playoffs and now he can get you know say an extra 10 or 15 20 million dollars come summertime he's happy in Milwaukee Uh, let's not screw up a good thing let's not rock the boat and let's lock him in with the franchise that really values him it's just a different look from uh from Bledsoe's side as well yeah to me the takeaway here is that strong organizations win championships and that's been pretty true over the past few years, right? I mean, it's either strong organizations or LeBron win championships. Um, and so this is the sort of thing, to me at least, what that a strong organization would do, right? You've got your guy. He's played well for you. You mentioned just a good frontline defender. He's just like, he's this first point of defense for one of the league's top defenses. Um, he's been a good fit next to Giannis. They seem to have a good relationship. The three-point shooting with Bledsoe isn't great. You'd like to maybe ramp that up. Maybe as he gets older, he'll start relying on maybe more of a three-point jump shot. Um, but overall, like if you're the Bucks, it's not a bad deal for a guy who otherwise you're not going to be able to upgrade anyway, right? Because if he leaves, there's no real way to upgrade that 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 spot. So you had to keep him. Um, and yeah, they and, faced a lot of choices this summer, right? Because Bledsoe's a free agent, Middleton's a right. free agent, Brogdon's a free agent, Brooke Lopez is a free agent, and I think Miritich is a free agent too, right? So mm-hmm. you're looking at a scenario where ultimately your big picture goal as an organization is to keep a winning championship quality cast around Giannis before he hits his free agency, right? If they hadn't uh, re-signed Bledsoe to this extension early, they're going into the summer with all sorts of unknowns. And let's say they go to the finals, all of those guys' individual prices are going to go up, right? Mm -hmm. All the interest in all of those players are going to go up. We see it year after year when supporting cast members of guys who play in the finals wind up getting big-time payments. I mean, look no further than like Harrison Barnes uh, you know, with the Golden State Warriors a few years ago, right? Uh, getting the max deal from Dallas when he's clearly not a max-level player. So I think that was a legitimate concern for this organization's long-term planning. And also locking up Bledsoe early, doesn't it also put a little peer pressure on a guy like Middleton to say, hey, look, man, we know you're going to be one of the bigger names on this summer's market. When you're looking at those second-tier names, I think Middleton's right at the front of the list after you go through the first-tier guys of Kawhi and and Kevin Durant and so forth. He could be getting huge offers, but I think the hope is you're trying to build a culture there in Milwaukee where guys want to stay. They're willing to maybe give a little back to stay, just like we saw Clay Thompson and Draymond Green do in Golden State over these last couple of years. You know That kind of sacrifice is so crucial to keeping a roster together and also to giving your front office the flexibility to go out there and make targeted acquisitions to fill out the bench you know whether it's at the trade deadline or or during the summer period so that's another you know potential building block here is you know if Bledsoe's in place Giannis is in place now those other free agents are starting to think hey I should stick around too yeah and look I mean you mentioned those other free agents there is a scenario here where the Bucks go to the Eastern Conference Finals maybe the NBA Finals and they just say let's just re-sign all these guys 
And and specifically, the guy that they need to be worrying about is Chris Middleton because just like Bledsoe, if Middleton walks, the only the only way they can re-sign Middleton essentially is with the bird rights. If he walks, it's not like they have another max cap slot to replace him with. That that's it. It's Middleton or bust for them really to get that caliber player that you were talking about. And this allows them to take all these other things like this Bledsoe piece off the table. They don't have to worry about it anymore. That's locked in. And now you could just focus on on Middleton, and yeah, like the Brook Lopez's and the Miritich's and, and the Brogdon's will be nice to resign. But when we talk about like the big three, if we want to call it that in Milwaukee, it's kind of Bledsoe, um, it, it's Bledsoe, Middleton, and Giannis, obviously. So you you sign Bledsoe now, and now you're not dealing with that weird like, okay, first day of free agency, who's the first guy we're calling? Does the guy that that doesn't get the first call feel slighted or doesn't get the call from like the owner? You know what I mean? Like all these weird machinations, they don't have to worry about it. Bledsoe, you're done. Now we Middleton's the first guy we're calling after midnight. We'll figure that out too. People around the team are pretty confident that Middleton resign, even though anything can change from now and then. So it, it's just again. Really good move from a team that's just going for it, and it just it makes a lot of sense from basically every avenue. Um, yeah, the Bucks were in L.A. on Friday night, and they were in a very celebratory mood. Everybody was so happy for Eric Bledsoe, and that including Giannis. And by the way, every move has to be looked at through his lens. Mm-hmm. Does he approve? Does he disapprove? Uh, not only was he excited for Bledsoe feeling like he had earned that money, but he was excited for what it meant, you know, going forward into next season when they're trying to kind of keep this thing rolling. It's not that long ago that the Milwaukee Bucks were a team like the Phoenix Suns or the Sacramento Kings from a few years ago where nobody wanted to go, nobody wanted to resign. It was like a race to get out of town. So the fact that they've turned this thing around so dramatically in a few years, it's a credit to Giannis's unbelievable ability, but also the organization's done a very nice job of steering things around him, even though they've gone through a front office change and gone through a coaching change here in recent years to be able to navigate this thing so smoothly and and to be sitting atop the standings it's a really really remarkable story does this now surpass greg monroe as the greatest free agent signing in milwaukee bucks history (laughs) well i'll tell you that was a smart trade by them and look you know it's their organization has even transformed from when they traded uh, you know, Greg Monroe for Eric Bledsoe, right? Mm-hmm. Because when they got him, Kid was still the coach. Kid was on the hot seat. Uh, you know, the the GM John Horse was just settling in. I mean, he really had no reputation around the league. It, some people argued, "Oh, is this a little bit of a panic move to be making a, uh, such a big trade so early during that season?" And instead, it's played out perfectly, other than that hiccup in the playoffs last year. And I do think it's going to be huge for Bledsoe's confidence. You know, knowing the team believes in him, he is going to be one of the big X factors in the entire Eastern Conference playoff picture. There is no question about it. You know Giannis is going to show up in the postseason. You know Middleton's going to show up in the postseason. Milwaukee has the potential to make the finals this year. They're that good. They're that dominant on both sides of the basketball. Bledsoe is going to be one of the key determining factors to see whether they live up to the, to that hype and to that promise. The Bucks obviously acting accordingly as a strong organization. On the other side of that spectrum is the Phoenix Suns, Ben. Kevin Arnovitz, in a recent story for ESPN, explored the Suns front office and the dysfunction in Phoenix over the last several years. Within the piece, Arnovitz writes that, quote, the Suns appear to have no discernible direction, end quote. That doesn't seem too, like totally good. Uh, when it comes to an ever-changing roster, front office, coaching staff, it all just it all stems from the owner. Robert Robert Sarver, uh, who seems to be like an unexperienced micromanager, which is not a good combination. Then it seemed like there was optimism going into this season with a talented young group. But here the Suns are again 
with the worst record in the league, and it doesn't seem like things are getting better anytime soon there. You know, no, not at all. I mean, it, it's clear from the outside that they've been a mess. Anytime you've got two co-interim GMs, you've already lost, okay? I mean, that's just already a mess right off the top. Mm-hmm. I think the, the points that Kevin Arnovitz raised about their lack of a scouting department are really scary. When you're an organization whose entire dream of of making the playoffs is going to be contingent upon drafting quality players and developing them to not have an, a fully staffed scouting department uh, like other teams to have left some positions empty after firing people uh, that's not good you know and, and we've seen it with their draft history in the past they've had so many ugly misses from uh, you know Josh Jackson right on down the list in terms of Marquise Chris I mean Dra- Dragon Bender I mean the list goes on and on of, of all the guys they've missed on and uh, you know, if I was a Suns fan, I would have been reading that thing super demoralized. But I, I got to point out, you didn't mention the goat story. I thought for sure you'd be leading with the goat story was. I had it in my notes. I was going to talk about the goat story. It was the, it was the nut graph of this whole thing. I already gave you the lead. But yeah, never bring goats into an office. Turns out they just poop everywhere. Yeah, so the the story goes that Robert Sarver, the owner, to try to inspire Ryan McDonough to go out there and find a, a goat or a leader for his roster, he brought in some goats that had been used as part of a Phoenix Mercury event uh, with Diana Taurasi, who's considered the goat of women's basketball. Mm-hmm. He brought live goats into McDonough's office, and unfortunately, they, they made a mess of the office like you might expect they would. I was Why curious. wouldn't Here's you just bring for- Taurasi into the office? Right, right. Here's my question it's not for you. Goat though. by association. That's not how this works. <laughs> who, who looks worse in this story, Sarver or McDonough? Right? Because if you're Sarver, yeah. it's like you're so ham-handed. You, I guess, you already had the goats. Maybe you were trying to get your money's worth and put them to a second use during that day. Uh, but if you're McDonough, it's like your boss respects you that little that he's willing to like make your office into a biohazard zone. <laughs> To prove some sort of weird point. I don't know who comes off looking worse from that story. I definitely think it's Sarver because if you – he must have like read one too many like old Pat Riley stories about like dunking his head in ice in like an ice box just to prove like a championship point or something. He's like, I need that kind of moment. And instead he just all over the floor. Like that's not a super good look. Um, McDonough, I just – I feel bad for him. Like I just – like that would – like could you imagine walking to your office and just being like – what? <laughs> was it yeah, a I mean, Monday? Fir- was he coming in for the, the weekend? The first call is to the head janitor and the second call is to HR. Right. <laughs> it's like you're just feeling bullied by your own boss. No, it's been a mess down there for a long time. There's no question about it. And I don't see how it gets turned around. But the other thing to just underscore the demoralization aspect of it, I mean, really put yourself in the Phoenix Suns fans position, oh. right? Uh, anybody who's left has had a really thick skin and an incredible amount of patience here over the last decade as this thing has gone sideways. They get arguably the biggest win of their entire season on Saturday night, mm-hmm. you know, beating the Lakers at home, kind of screwing with LeBron's playoff hopes. You know, DeAndre Ayton plays well. Finally, they get a win. It's like they're only their second win in two months, right? You had about 48 hours to savor that before you have to wake up Monday morning to stories about goats and the fact that nobody knows uh, who one of your co-GMs is around the league and nobody... Uh, really respects James Jones as sort of like buy-in on the technical side of the job, and they don't really think that he's got the leadership potential to to carry that job. Right. I mean, that is such a, a series of gut bunches for Suns fans. And you know, to be honest, I think that this is the type of situation 
where if I'm Adam Silver reading that, and the NBA has stepped in previously with teams like the Pelicans in the past to go provide some structure, like David Stern was, uh, you know, really hands-on in terms of, you know, bringing in NBA's, uh, you know, season ticket salespeople to kind of help the Pelicans sell tickets and so forth. I almost feel like that story reached the point where, like, the NBA needs to send some key deputies mm-hmm. down to Phoenix and just bring everything up to code here because this seemed like basically unacceptable behavior for an NBA organization. We need dudes with clipboards in Phoenix, stat. Um, <laughs> and, and look, if I. Man- management consultants, <laughs> you know? If I'm a Suns fan, I'd be worried about Devin Booker. Because Booker has previously stated he wants to build a super team in Phoenix. And it's not like dudes were lining up to sign with Phoenix. And even more so (laughs) now before. Or even less now than before. And I know he just recently signed an extension until 2024, right? So he can't pull like this Paul George thing like, hey, I'm not going to resign, so you might as well trade me. Because there's a whole lot of years left on that contract. But you've you've kind of you've started this theory of player tanking, and that could be an effect here. If Booker wants to build a super team and start winning because he can't do it right now with the Suns, I'd be worried about something happening there. Well, I mean, it's so hard to keep these guys bought in for multiple years, and they've already played their biggest card, which is give him all the money he can possibly get in that mm-hmm. second contract. And now you have to continue to have new uh, you know, sales pitches to the superstar players every single year, whether you're a bad team like the Suns or a great team like the Golden State Warriors who are going through that same thing right now with Kevin Durant. You've got to try to keep these guys happy. That's how the NBA works. And I don't know what their pitch is. I mean, if they replace James Jones uh, as the GM, if they bring in a new GM, that's another organization that uh, you know Booker's going to have to sort of adapt himself with. Right. That guy, whoever the GM is, could easily want to execute another coaching change. We haven't seen hardly anything from Igor this season to suggest that he's like a Brad Stevens-like mind who you've got mm-hmm. to kind of build your team around. So there could be yet another coaching change coming, um, you know, down the pike after that. I don't know. I, I would be. Uh, I mean, the good thing is that Booker is under contract for a long time, right? So yeah. he doesn't really have a ton of leverage. At the same time, you know, he could make things uh, difficult for you as well, just from a public relations standpoint. Uh, if he were to kind of go public with some of his frustrations, and we've heard that from DeAndre Ayton too this year, right? I mean, he said, "Hey, look, from the outside looking in, I'd be laughing at the Suns." Essentially, he said that over All Star Weekend, and uh, you know, saying, you know, how tough it can be to keep your spirits together over the course of such a long season. You know, I feel for their players, um, and ultimately, I kind of wonder though. We've seen over the last ten years or so, like the absolute worst NBA owners have kind of been either pushed out or nudged out, whether mm-hmm. it's Donald Sterling with the Clippers, whether it's the Maloof brothers in Sacramento, whether it was the Warriors owners before, you know, Lakeup and Goober took over. I almost wonder if this is one of these situations, again, if you're Adam Silver, do you do you have a phone call to, to, to Sarver here and say, look, man, like you've made a lot of money on this team's franchise value over the years. You just secured a new arena renovation. Uh, that's going to help with the, the franchise's financial health long term. Maybe we should consider putting this team on the market. I mean, maybe this is not in the best interest of the league for you to be operating things this way. I would have those kinds of feelings if I was Silver, and uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see whether something like that develops. We've already heard LeBron might be interested in buying a team. I mean, he already owns an agency while he's playing. Why not also own a team while you're playing? Is there, I'm, <laughs> Just do that. That seems like a, that seems like a win-win for everybody. Um, a couple other notes here. Carmelo Anthony apparently has the luxury of being picky because, as Woj reports, Melo's camp is cautious about going to the Lakers, quote, 
an unsettled environment with suddenly so little chance of making the playoffs, end quote. So things are going well for L.A. Meanwhile, up in Oakland, the Warriors are making moves. They plan to use their open roster spot to sign Andrew Bogut, the 34-year-old center who has been playing in Australia, but he should join his former team within a couple days. Ben, is this a good move for the Warriors? It's an interesting move. First of all, it's a terrible sign for the Lakers if you can't get Carmelo Anthony. You're out here trying to uh, you know, recruit these A-list free agents, and you can't even get a guy who's been done for two years. It's a blessing That's, in a hoodie. It, right. That's not great. Um, in terms of the Warriors, I mean, this all comes down to their faith in DeMarcus Cousins, doesn't it? I know he's been struggling a little bit. He hasn't looked 100%, right? The movement on defense isn't great. I mean, I think if you're bringing in Bogut... It's got to be from a you know an injury protection type standpoint because, look, it's not like he's the fleetest guy in the world anymore either. I mean, he never was even when he was back during his Warriors days. So uh, to me, it's, it's more like a roster balance issue uh, from a positional standpoint. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be a major contributor here during this postseason run. I actually think the biggest benefit this will be from is in the locker room um the Warriors throughout this whole season have said that they've missed a lot not have they they still talk about Andrew Bogut and his leadership abilities and his ability to mentor young centers uh and young players in general but specifically the big the big men on that roster they lost that when Bogut left they lost that when without Zaza and David West who who left this last season so they didn't have that veteran presence and DeMarcus Cousins has been in the league for a while but he's not the mentor right like he's dealing with his own stuff right now so I, I think that having Bogut in there with a guy like Kevon Looney, who's been up and down, Jordan Bell, who's basically just been down all year, um, they need a little bit more of that. So even if Bogut never even plays, just having him in the locker room, having him in film sessions, having him in practice, I think it's going to be huge, especially as these guys get to the playoffs and, and they're starting to make adjustments game to game. Um, because we know what other team. There's not a whole lot of weak points for opponents to attack the Warriors at, right? The only spot is that center spot, and uh, and they've been doing that over the last several weeks, uh, whether it's Cousins or whoever else in there. It's just basically pick and roll to death. That's kind of the strategy against them. So having Bogut in there, I think, would be huge. Um, and look, it's a 15th roster spot. I mean, you could do a lot worse than, than Andrew Bogut, um, even if he never even plays a single minute for you. I think that there's just locker room things that he can provide that nobody else can at this point. That's all we have for today. Thanks for subscribing to Locked on NBA. If you like us, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. And, of course, thanks to Ben Golliver for jumping on. Make sure to check out his work over at the Washington Post. In the meantime, leave your goats outside, people.